You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PB Army ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Hello, welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Judd, how are you? Now on iTunes, Matt. That's the most important thing. We are now we on, are iTunes, on iTunes. Just in time for the playoffs. It only took until playoff time to be on iTunes, but we are there on iTunes. Okay, so very good. I'm growing my playoff beard, my yeah. iTunes beard. Do you really grow? You don't really, do you? For the playoffs? Do you really grow a beard? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Some people do. I do not. All right. I could, if you'd like me to. Uh, no, I saw you in November. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. It was not very good. This, you kind of this mug is not it's not conducive I mean, to a beard or no beard, actually. You need it covered up as much as possible. <laughs> I was going to say. All right, so in preparation for the playoffs, we are about a week away here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got all of the analytics on what the wild lines should look like, and I have not told you them before this podcast. So I'm going to tell you what the numbers say the lines should be for the Minnesota Wild, and I want you to tell me, A, if you think that will be the line, okay, and B, whether you would agree with the numbers and have that be the line. And this is a column that I could also find on 1500ESPN.com? You absolutely can, sir. You are what I call full service for the hockey fan. (laughs) And I've got all the numbers included there, too. Cool. uh, By shot attempt differential, goals for, and scoring chances as well. So these are all the the best lines that they've had. And then one creative line of my own. Okay. So for the number one line, Eric Stahl, Charlie Coyle, and Nino Niederreiter. Okay. I like the size there of that line. Uh, So Coyle would be on your right wing and Nino would be on your left wing. Okay. And uh, do you want to go? Do you want me to read all yeah, of them? Yeah, go, oh, okay. go, right, go through. Go through the lines. Go through the lines because then I can actually re- react to the lines in their totality. Okay, sounds good. All right, line number two would yep. be Miko Koivu, Mikael Granlund, and Jason Zucker. Okay, which I think we would all agree should be a line. I don't think anyone will have any debate about that one. Okay, the third line is where there might be some trepidation. Mm-hmm. Eric Howla, Zach Parisi, and Jason Pominville is your third line. A line that I believe you liked a lot when they put it together um, two months ago. It's been a while. It has been a while, yes. But a lot of speed from uh, 56 there between two guys that are slower. And they controlled 71% of the scoring chances, which is an outrageously high number. Okay. And it was a small sample size because, like you said, they didn't stay together long, but that's still a really good number. All right. And for the fourth line, Martin Hansel. So you traded a first-round pick for a fourth liner. I understand it. Yep. Joel Erickson Eck mm-hmm. and Jordan Schrader. Uh-huh. That is my fourth line. Okay, and hold your, on a second. Your extras. Let's play a little game called Who Are the Guys Who Have Been Scratched Under These Line Scenarios? Uh-huh. Well, let's see here. I'm looking for, on my line charts I just put together off of what you gave me, I'm looking for a uh, number, I believe it's uh, seven. Uh, number seven is going to be a healthy scratch. <laughs> 
Chris Stewart. You finally did it. You finally found an excuse to remove Chris Stewart from the wild game day roster. It is not an excuse. Okay. Joel Erickson Eck has six points in 12 games. He has come back to the team looking like a more mature player. Bruce Boudreaux mentioned that he's put on more weight, and he's a smart player who I would want for me in the playoffs, which I think is where Chris Stewart really struggles and has struggled for his entire career. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Chris Stewart is dead last in the entire NHL in shot attempt differential when he's on the ice. So the Explain wild, that to me. The Wild are getting outshot by more than anyone else in the entire league when he's on the ice. Okay. So if there were 100 shots, the mm-hmm. Wild are only getting 40 out of 100 with him on the ice. Put it that way. Okay. And that's the worst in the whole league. So they're getting destroyed of on the any, shot. So you're telling me any, player, any forward or any skater? Any, of any forward. Okay. He is the worst. I didn't check defensemen. I just sorted by forwards. Okay. He is dead last. I can't have that in the playoffs. I can't have a guy who's getting outshot constantly in the playoffs. Now, that these numbers can be affected by a lot of different things. Sure. But over his career, it's been a trend. And I, last time you and I were at a game, I pointed this out to you, where he went for a hero play where normally a fourth liner should just make a simple play, but he tried going back behind the net and then making a risky pass. Yep. It turned into a two-on-one when his team was up a goal. Yeah. Just plays like that. It was that. highly irresponsible. And, and you've seen him not quite get to center ice and flip the puck in for a senseless icing. There are there are turnovers. There are mistakes in the defensive zone. He has incredible talent and size and skating ability, and he can finish at the net. But if you have another player like Erickson Eck who can also finish at the net okay. and create plays and is smarter, okay. then I'm going to take him in the lineup. I'm going to be unbiased here myself, but I'm going to give you what I think uh, Boudreaux would say to you if you came to him with these four lines. He would say for the playoffs, Chris Stewart gives me a certain amount of not fighting, but he gives me a certain amount of grit and toughness, and I like that because he's a- able to pump up his teammates. And and his presence on the ice doesn't mean he has to fight, but it will cause people to think once or twice if they're going to run a Grandland or a smaller player. What would your response be to that? Well, I would ask, who was that player on the Pittsburgh Penguins last year? Nobody. Okay. Who was that player on Chicago during their dynasty? Nobody. Okay. There, you don't need that player to win the Stanley Cup. In fact, the Pittsburgh Penguins, you don't need size to win the Stanley Cup. The Penguins were the second smallest team in the NHL last year, and the last time Chicago won by height and weight were the smallest team in the NHL. Now, when L.A. won, they were one of the bigger teams. Yep. There's just no connection. And L.A. had a couple of guys like that who could throw their weight around. But the difference was they did a specific job. Where Stewart gets in trouble is that you say, oh, well, I'll just bury him on the fourth line. Well, you'd like to, but he doesn't do his job all the time when he's on the fourth line. He tries hero plays. He, he makes mistakes. He loses focus sometimes when all you need is your fourth liner to just skate it in and take a shot or dump it in. I think I've got the perfect description of, of him after watching him all year because he does have some skills. Oh, yeah, he definitely does. Here's my perfect description. He's got just enough skills to be dangerous. Yes. Uh, if you were to pl- if you were to take Chris Stewart and, physic- and physically put him in a time machine and send him to 1992, I think he's a really good player. I agree. There was an NHL that existed under which you look at that skill set and you say that guy scores 45 to 50 goals. That guy makes some really nice plays. Everyone at the time is much slower, and he's fine. 
I honestly think that Chris Stewart has just enough skill in this league now, which is an incredibly fast league, to make himself a danger to his own team. I'll give you an NFL comparison. Ryan Fitzpatrick. What teams always want from Ryan Fitzpatrick is we're going to play defense and Fitz just protect the ball, Fitz. That's all we need you to do. Just play that simple, smart game because you're a Harvard boy, right? Just like how Stewart's a big guy. Just play that tough game. Sure. Just play your simple role. Sure. Yet Fitzpatrick routinely is at the top of the league in interceptions because he just can't do it. It's not who he is. He gets out there and he starts making risky throws into traffic yep. and throws picks. And he can't just be that smart, simple backup quarterback, just like Stewart can't be the smart, simple fourth liner. And I think that a fourth line with Hansel, who is an experienced Which I don't mind, by, good by the player, way. One right. bit. Hansel He's, on the fourth line to me is fine. Matt Cullen was on the fourth line for yes. Pittsburgh last year. They score, He scored 32 points in the regular season. Yes. And I also think when it comes to the height-weight thing, Connor Sheary last year played a big role for Pittsburgh. He's yep. played a big role again. He's no bigger than Jordan Schrader. Mm-hmm. And so I look at Schrader as a guy who can produce some offense now and then, can bring the puck through the neutral zone, create some shot attempts that way. You're not talking about the best defensive wingers, but they would be playing with one of your better defensive centers and make up. They have speed. Erickson Eck and Schrader, they make up for Hansel's lack of speed. And also, mm-hmm. it keeps Hansel away from other players that he might hold up. Like other faster players like Haula or even Pominville and Parisi are faster than he is. So if he's on a third line or second line, he might be holding them up because sure, he yes. doesn't have great speed. Oh, he plods. As opposed to he's a plotter. being on the fourth line and just playing a role and then having the other guys use their speed to get it through the neutral zone. Uh, Haula, your thoughts on, on the fact that, that Zucker's been out now uh, for the past two games. Uh, they've got three games left. As we as we record this, uh, Hala was with Zucker out. Hala was moved to a wing with Koivu and Granlund the last game. I am beginning to get the impression that Boudreaux uh, highly does not trust Hala to play center. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts there? Because I think he I think he does like his speed a lot. So I don't think he's trying to eliminate him completely. Uh, but it seems to me that there is somewhat of the the responsibilities that that position carries with it. Where Boudreaux's trust in Hala is, I'd, I would prefer to have you at the less stressful position of wing than center. Which is why he probably trusts Martin Hansel more. And yes. if I were to guess, I would say that we'll see more Martin Hansel than we will see Hala when it comes to the playoffs. Yes, I think. But you I would have it the other way because I think if you put him with two really smart, experienced two-way players in Zach Parisi and Jason Pominville, they can make up for him in the defensive zone a little bit. And they're both good at getting the puck back, especially Zach Parisi, and starting transition with Howla's speed through the neutral zone, which I also think, too, if you put Howla on somebody, whoever he's playing against, whether it's, I don't know, Paul Stastny or something. Well, right? He you, took Taze three just, years ago and did a nice job. Well, that's what I mean. You just say, a responsibility, this, yeah. this is your guy. Yeah. You stick to him. Yep. He can skate so well that he can shut down another guy in a playoff series. And I also think, too, what you're looking for is an advantageous matchup against someone else's third line. Mm-hmm. You are not often asking Eric Howla to play against Jonathan Taves. Your hope is that you have this line playing against a third line that's likely inferior and doesn't have a $10 million winger on it, right? Co- correct. I really like the way his speed matches up with their experience 
You have he can get the puck through the neutral zone. Parisi can win the puck. Pominville is a playmaker. Has had a really good year setting up teammates. A lot of assists. I like the way that. I like the up. speed there because yeah. because if you have that as your third line, Parisi and Pominville give you some things, but they definitely both of them don't give you speed. Holla does. Uh, I, I think we also can safely assume that when the playoffs start, if there is a top line to go against, Koivu gets that guy. Yes. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if, if you look this up, and th- this is just from the eye test for me of watching games, it seems like Koivu's success on faceoffs has not been as great of late as it was for an extended period of time. But that being said, of those four guys that, that could uh, potentially go against top lines, Koivu is my choice. Um, the question becomes this with that line, though. Zucker, because this guy is up and down still. I mean, mm-hmm. I really thought that the Boudreaux had gotten to him, I don't know, uh, collar around December or so, and Zucker started to play incredibly consistent. And, and I thought, okay, if this is how he's going to play, one, I'm keeping him for sure, and two, he's really good. And when the team started to slump, he started to slide too. So my immediate, if, if I'm going to break up that line, my immediate attention would not be to break up uh, Granlin and Koivu I would leave them together for sure. My concern becomes Zucker's style and consistency, more importantly, of play. And if that continued to be a problem, you could move Eric Howell into that spot because it's really a guy who's got to be fast because Granlin creates getting through the neutral zone and then is a great passer, and you need someone to just fly by the defense and be ready at the net to score. I think part of it with Zucker is that he was scoring at such a high rate earlier this year that he was one of the players you figured he's just not going to keep up this incredible of a scoring pace Mm -hmm. that he's going to come back I think somebody pointed it out that he had a better five-on-five scoring rate than Sidney Crosby at a time and that wasn't going to keep up for the whole sure and I'm not I'm not just talking scoring here though I'm talking about his his play itself too and his responsibility because when he is playing hard he's really good when he, I think when his uh, confidence in his scoring starts to dip, the rest mm-hmm. of his game dips too. And I'm more concerned about that, especially playoff time where dumb mistakes can really cost you. The way I look at it is because you have Koivu and you know what you're going to get out of him, I don't know about his faceoff percentage, whether it's dipped, but for his career, he's at 55%, which faceoffs can be really overrated and on the broadcasts way overstated for what they mean to a game. But for this particular setup, to have this line starting often in the defensive zone, taking faceoffs, trying to win the puck, and then create through the neutral zone, you really need Granlin and Zucker to just play their offensive roles. Like, you have such a rock-solid center. I'm not saying that they could play bad defense or that anyone in the playoffs could play bad defense, right. but they're often out on the ice with Ryan Suter, too. So you have your two best. You have your best center, your best defenseman defensively. They need to score. They need to produce points. They need to back other teams off with their speed through the neutral zone and Zucker is such a huge part of that that I would just even if this line was struggling I would leave it to me they've got the same setup as that line last year that was really successful for the Penguins the HBK line when they had uh, Benino and Kessel and Carl Hagelin Mm -hmm. and Zucker is like a more skilled Carl Hagelin with Mm -hmm. his speed and then you've got your player Kessel was carrying the puck Granlin's the puck carrier it's a really simple 
kind of strategy, but it's worked for them really well this year. So I wouldn't touch that. If it struggles, then maybe you make a change. But I love that setup so much right. that I don't want to make a change there. Unless another line was just pounding you down and you needed to mix and match to have a shutdown line. Mm-hmm. That's always possible. Uh, the one remaining line is Eric Stahl, Nino Niederreiter, and Charlie Coyle. Your thoughts on that line? Oh, boy. Uh, Stahl's been fantastic. I mean, he, he's gone through some scoring droughts, but I believe he's at 27 or 28 goals. He's been great. Um, Niederreiter came off that enormous scoring slump a couple of games ago to score two goals. Uh, you need him, but but my biggest, my biggest um, guy that I don't know – what to expect, and I'm very curious about, is Coyle. In fact, if you were to ask me, if you were to say, give me a forward in this playoff run who has to emerge and who has to play consistent and can score, it's Coyle. Coyle, he's driving me crazy. He's driving me up the wall because I look at that body, and I look at the fact that he, for the most part, except for, what, about a three-game span or so, has been left at wing, which is, by the way, where I think he should play. And everything that Charlie Coyle is being asked to do to me screams of this guy should be emerging as an elite power forward type of player, and yet he's not. He's not consistent. So that line, I, I like the idea of that line, and I think that line could be, if things are going well, Dominant might be too strong, but I think they could be very, very solid. But to me, the success of that line starts with Charlie Coyle because this has been an underachieving year. And that's a guy I thought if you got him at wing and left him there would be fantastic. And so far, I've been proven wrong. Well, Where they do dominate by the numbers is in the possession of the puck. Um, the Wild as a team, as a whole, especially on their bottom line this year, have struggled with that. But this line has been crushing it. If you're 50%, then you're average. They've been at 55%, which is really excellent. And they're the only line on the team that is up over consistently over 50% for the entire year. And I think it has a lot to do with the size and puck skills of Stahl and Niederreiter. Now, that's a position where you could mix and match, I think where if Coyle is struggling, then you could slide Howla there and try Coyle back at center or bump up Zach Parisi if you need to into that spot. I mean, I, I think that what you need there is a line that can kind of play some Kings hockey that can slow it down. Like, this is known as a fast team. We talked about it earlier yeah, this man. year. Every game seemed like a track meet, getting through the neutral zone quickly and scoring. And... In the playoffs, though, the game changes a little bit, especially the first round. It feels like just everyone's hair is on fire. So when you have this line that can win some battles along the wall, Niederreiter is a genius at this to me, just constantly winning battles and using his body and using his stick work. And he's got good size, yes. And and combining that with the pure skill of Eric Stahl and his ability to slow it down, too, when he's coming into the offensive zone, he can create room because everyone kind of has to back off him with his good skill. Yes. I mean, that, that that line can be unstoppable at times because of that, because they've just got the puck the entire time you're out there. I would like to see, when, when the playoffs start, I would like to see uh, Parisi have a role, too, where they don't, if this makes sense, uh, they don't ask too much. I think if Parisi's put in the right role, he's fine. But I think if you sit there and say to yourself, he's making a lot of money, therefore he should do this or that, you're going to be disappointed. I'd really like to see them... Puts, and, and Parisi still has some games, and heck, it might be a string of games where he looks like his old self. But you, you've seen this too. There's also a string of games where he looks like he's old and slow and tired. And so I think when it comes – see, 
my my hope collar was that Coyle would begin to emerge because he's young, but he's certainly been around for a while now, and therefore you, you would have the luxury of saying, okay, we're going to slot Parisi into exactly where he should be, which in my mind now, the Halla Pominville Parisi line would be just fine. It's two slower veterans with a fast guy. Uh, but now if you all of a sudden get into a situation of saying Charlie's not playing well, therefore Zach should do this or that, you get into trouble because to expect that consistently from Zach in, in a playoff series where it's not you're not going to have fights now, but there will be lots of, lots of hits go, going on. Parisi, I think, is at a, a point in his career where it's very easy for him to start to wear down. So I would want to keep him as fresh as possible because I think there's something there. But if you think to yourself, this is Zach circa 2005, you're going to be very disappointed. The way that I look at that is on any team, and this has been the Wilds' problem for a long time, you've got players who will be up one series, down another series. I mean, even the great players will sometimes dip. I mean, Patrick Kane has had tough series. Jonathan Taves has had series where he hasn't scored. But the thing about Taves or Anansi Kopitar is they could still dominate a series, and Crosby's done this many times. They can dominate a series where they don't actually put up a ton of points. In the wild, that was supposed to be Zach Parisi. That that's how he was in New Jersey. Where and it's just not here. It, it just isn't him anymore. So now it's who's that gonna be? Because those star players tend to beat teams with depth all day long in, through the history of hockey. That's just how it's worked. The superstars win. So how are you going to deal with that? Who's going to be that person? And I don't know that that person exists, but I think you need Mikael Granlund to play like a superstar. He's not a two-way megastar, but he creates, though. So it's not that he just just is relied upon to score goals. He could consistently create through an entire playoffs scoring chances for his line mates. Yep. That's what they need because you know Coyle will have some games where we go, what a game by Coyle, and then he'll disappear because that's just who he is. I mean, I think the conversation is basically over with Charlie Coyle. How can we fix him? What's next for him? Nothing. Yeah, but there's this been, is who he is. There's been far too many games in the second half of this year where you don't say that. But that's who he I, is. I at least want – right, right. But I'm saying that, that, that you would like to say once every – take your pick. Once every six games. Oh, yeah. my gosh, nice game. Oh, right. But I you're not saying that. Um, I would actually uh, advocating within the next three games, if you gave me a, a wish list of scratches, guys I could rest. Granlin's at, at the very top. Granlin to me looks tired. He looks worn down. He does. I, agree. I mean, he doesn't. He when you watch Granlin, it's not like he's not the type of player who should regress. I mean, he's not. It's not like he plays a game where he goes out and runs guys and uses. Granlin's a very. I think he's a very smart player and strategic. Um, and he looks so good for so much of this year, but he's a guy who I don't know. Let, let's say the last two weeks, he has looked worn down. He's a guy that I would not hesitate with three games left to scratch for at least two and say you're resting because I think if you get if you get him some time off now, he'll benefit. And I don't see a compelling reason with a guy like that to keep saying you know play your way through it. Player, he's a little guy. He's incredibly that valuable to your team. And if there's a if there's about two or three guys that I'm saying who should I rest, Granlund, Suter probably, uh, and pick a third. But Granlund is at the top of my list. I would say either Parisi or Pominville. 
just because they're the elder statesmen. Parisi would be good for me. That'd be fine. Just give I'm give just him saying, the rest of the week off. Granlund to me, they keep playing him, and, and he's had a great year, but he has gone through a stretch now where you look at him and he's he's missing opportunities yeah. in every way that he shouldn't miss, and I think it's because he's worn down. And I think he's the only one with really the potential to play like the superstar franchise player for the whole playoffs. I would agree with that, yes. At this point in his career? I would agree. Other than the goalie, who we'll see. Right, but um, but among but skaters? Among skaters, Among yeah. skaters, I would say if, you are, if you're going to be carrying around that chalice come June and you ask me to identify two, pl- two skaters, Suter's going to have to be outstanding. I'm not sure he will be, but he's going to, ha- going to have to be, and he can be very good. Uh, but if you were to, to ask me a forward... I'm with you, Granlund. It'd be nice if, if somebody could emerge each series, two or three guys, but if you're looking for a guy who, when the playoffs, if the Wild was to win the Cup and the playoffs get done and you go to Joe Hockey fan who watched all the games but didn't didn't watch this club a lot and said, who emerged to you? Who who do you now, who will you now watch next year? If the answer is Granlund, that's the key. Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me. ASAP. By the way, interestingly enough, I mentioned the goaltender. Uh, looked at some of the numbers over the last 20 games or so since March 1st. And the Wild, in some of the predictive numbers that point you toward who's going to have playoff success, really good in their scoring chance differential, really good in their shot differential. And that's even if you take out some of the score effects, being down in some of those games early. Even if you take that out, they're still one of the best. So they've really turned that around from earlier this season. Their goal scoring has been fine. It hasn't been at the very top of the league, but it's been in the middle. The thing that I'm concerned about, though, I took a look back at last year. The two top goalies save percentages past March 1st made the conference finals. And number four and five made the Stanley Cup Finals for save percentage past March 1st. So leading up into the playoffs, these guys were all hot. Brian Elliott was hot for the Blues. And who else was uh, Ben Bishop was hot. Uh, Just whoever was going into the playoffs that was cold did not last very long. Devin Dubnik is as cold as it can possibly get. He has had, since March 1st, among starting goalies going in the playoffs, the second worst save percentage by one percentage point compared (laughs) to Martin Jones. And guess who has moved his way up toward the top of that list is Jake Allen for the Blues. Played great. Which has uh, a very good possibility of being the matchup. Yep. So my question to you, Judd, is this matchup potentially with the Blues or Nashville Mm – are you well? Part one is: Are you concerned about facing the Blues now that their goalie's getting hot? Yep. And part two is: Would you rather face the Blues or the Predators? Now that's become a very difficult question. Uh, I was told by everybody and their brother that uh, Rena hadn't been playing well for Nashville, and then he comes He's back hot last too. Saturday and shuts you out. He's and looks, had a nine thirty and made like three really yeah. good saves since March first. He's, um, he's been good. I get, okay. Total coin flip. Because there's not a good a good response here, especially given how how the Wild played in March. 
I'm I'm going to go Blues. Nashville's got a lot of components I like, but do I really want to face Mike Yo, who by the way, if if you look back at the schedule, one of the first teams to start the slide was the Blues and Mike Yo. So you at don't want to face them? No, no. I'm saying if you oh, give you... me if you give me a choice, I don't like it. But I'm picking the Blues. Oh, you're picking. But them I'm going to have to play Mike Yo, which I don't want to do. I'm going to have to play a goaltender in Allen, who was so bad at one point when Hitchcock was coaching the team that they sent him home to get his head cleared. They told him basically leave the team, go home, and clear your head. And now he's playing great. And I'm also playing a team that that defensively with Yo's system can be incredibly responsible. And Mike Yo can win early round series. However, if I look at the choice being playing Nashville with PK Subban, that defense which I like, uh, Forsberg who I think is fantastic, I'll take the Blues. I don't like either choice right now, though. I'm not jumping at either choice, if that makes sense, Matthew. I, too, would take the Blues. I think for the whole Western Conference, there is no team where you say, oh, that team's definitely first out. When I look at the Eastern Conference, I say, Ottawa, what are you doing here? What are you doing, Ottawa? Yeah, you're so cute. How did you get here? You're so cute. It's nice. Good you're, to see you. It's good to great, see you here. Great to have you're Canada. The capital, you're yeah. the capital Canada. Great to have so Canada cute. back with us after taking last year off. There's but, like uh, six teams from Canada yeah, that are yeah, going to make the, the playoffs. Yeah, all the Canadian teams bounce back. But I don't like either choice very much uh, I would, in the Wilds case. But I would take the Blues also because the defense for Nashville would scare me. If you're wanting to play a game that's fast – they can skate with you. Yes. They have four of the best defensemen in the NHL in their top two pairs, and they're going to play them the whole game. And P.K. Subban has fit in there brilliantly. Yep. Ryan Ellis might be the most underrated player maybe in the league. He's a tremendous defenseman. Takes but he's in Nashville. Big minutes. He's in Nashville, right. So you're not going to hear about If, if he was guys. in anywhere else, if he was in New York, they would talk about him nonstop, about sure. how good he is. Roman Yossi has been around a little while. He's a tremendous player. Matthias Ekholm, another guy who's very underrated. Those four make up, for me, the best defense <laughs> in the NHL. I don't want to play that, along with Philip Forsberg, who's a superstar. Yes. I think he's an underrated superstar. He's got 31 goals this year. The only thing would be, well, I guess the goalie's even out, because Pekka Rene has had his bad times, too. He's had some bad playoff series. He's had some bad seasons. Jake Allen has been hot lately, but I even go back to when he was in the minor leagues, he wasn't very good in the playoffs. And then his first shot at he wasn't very good. And this this whole time, I've thought, is another collapse coming for him? Because he has never put together year after year of being a legitimate goaltender. I like, I like the fact, I like my chances more of flustering Allen and the Blues. Yeah. I don't think Nashville's going to get flustered. Now, and... If Rena's starting to get hot, that's a problem. Um, and if he had a bad series against you, that, that would be great. But all that being said, if I am rolling the dice and saying, which team would I have a better chance of the goaltender melting down and this team basically cashing it in, I'm guessing St. Louis. But playing Yo and Yo knows all my faults if I'm the Wild doesn't exactly excite me. I take them, but it doesn't excite me. The other thing is that the Blues traded away one of their better defensemen. <laughs> and Shattenkirk. Yeah, Kevin Shattenkirk. It which, hasn't destroyed them. Which but I, thought would, I thought they'd check out. Yeah, but we're also not in the playoffs. The other thing, too, is that Shattenkirk is an incredible power play player, but at 5-on-5, five five, he's kind of just another guy. Yeah. So when you get into the playoffs, it'll be a lot of 5-on-5. Five five. 
so if you got so if, if you take these three teams, Wild, Blues, and Preds, the superstar as far as skaters go is Forsberg, right? Yes, I think he's the best. Well, Tarasenko. But Tarasenko, I've seen him play a lot. Tarasenko, the thing I like about him is he checks out some games. When, when the Wild beat the Blues in the playoffs two years ago, Matthew, Tarasenko, on nights that he applied himself, is unbelievable. Like, you can't stop him. Mm-hmm. You can try, uh, but there were games he was just checked out. Forsberg strikes me, and I've not seen him as much, Forsberg strikes me as a far more engaged player, if I'm not mistaken. So if I have to play him in a playoff series, I can't say, okay, I'm guessing games three and five maybe. He'll check out. Yeah. Uh, Tarasenko, there was no question in my mind, applied himself on a game-by-game basis. And if things didn't go his way, he would sort of shrug the shoulders and you'd be like, he's not going to play that hard. It frustrated me as a fan because I'm like, dude, do what you do. You're so good. I want to see it. I don't care if it's against this team. It, because at the moments and the games that he that he actually worked it, Tarasenko's a phenomenal talent. So it frustrated me because I'm like, you actually are dogging it right now. Uh, I don't sense Forsberg would do that. Might be wrong. They also have uh, Nashville. I, I agree with what you said, that I think Tarasenko, when he's hot, though, you probably lose a series. Yes. If, if oh, he gets could. hot and he scores like six goals, oh, he'll, you lose the series. He'll kill you. Uh, but Forsberg plays all the time. Yep. He's a tremendous player, and it's hilarious that he was traded for Martin Erat by the Washington Capitals. Um, did George McPhee make that trade? Uh, yes, he did. Glad he got another job. It's, God bless the National well, Hockey how League. How about the GM who traded Tyler Sagan got another job and then traded Taylor Hall? Yeah, and then for defense. this GM trades Philip Forsberg and gets another job. <laughs> like, okay, what do you got to do? To not get another job, who would you have to trade? You would have to, to not, not be. Fr- no, no, no. It's friends. It's I got for this league. There is no. I mean, all sports are guilty, but I think hockey's the worst. You can make any trade you want, but as long as you still have friends in the league, somebody will hire you. And all you have to do to justify trading that megastar player is say, "Well, he wasn't good for our culture," and then yes. other people in hockey will forgive you. Like, fans won't because they know you're right. insane for trading Tyler Sagan. Right. But all you have to say is, well, he wasn't good for our culture. Uh, and Peter Shirelli, I mean, Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid is making this team. Yes. Like, this team, with and without McDavid, without McDavid, they're trash. Yes. They're not close to the playoffs. And by the way, I believe that Connor had, if I'm not mistaken, some like one assist against the wild all season long in three games it's the most bizarre you will never see this again the <laughs> right. wild for the next 10 years will give up minimum three goals per year to this guy and he's gonna probably win the mvp he's probably gonna win the heart trophy well he single-handedly I drags them up this thing yeah single-handedly but you've got the wrong word in hockey it's not culture all you have to say is he wasn't good in the room oh he wasn't good in the room they don't yes. use culture baseball's big on culture i think football uses culture now football does yeah. but in hockey it's the very you don't understand the dynamics of our room and he wasn't right. good in the room, so we gave him away. So we were smart to trade Taylor Hall, yes. even though your team is still not good outside of Connor McDavid's line when they're not on the ice. Thir- 30 goals or G-I-R, good in room. You'll take G-I- <laughs> You'll take yeah. Gur every time. Yeah. yeah, if you're them, yeah. Then how funny is it that there are plenty of guys who were labeled not good in the room who end up winning, and then we just say, Oh well, you know, I mean, Phil Kessel just I was wasn't. Say Kessel's he the, just he just wasn't didn't have to be the leader. That's yes. why, like, oh, okay. Kessel is the poster it's, child. It's a moving target. Then Kessel just is the poster child. Whatever for not makes you right. Then mm-hmm. how about we need so much leadership that the Rangers made the Stanley Cup final with no captain? 
Yep. Okay. It's just it's just constantly changing rules to justify really bad mistakes. Because there's no because of there are so many old school philosophies mixed now with new school that nobody knows what's going on half the time. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. You're, you're right. You're right. Be, because you've got your old school, you know, French Canadian dude with this team and he's gonna do things his way and he's gonna talk about Bobby Orr and Guy Lafleur and then across the country you've got this guy who's who's like twenty five years old. I mean Phoenix is my favorite. The Coyotes are my favorite. They're GMs how old? I think he's like thirty four. Is he even if that, that old? Yeah. He might not be that might not be that old. No, it might be less than I that. think he's less than that. I'm mixing up now my poster children for because, you know, the twins have one and Yes. They're, they're like In fact, all he's of, all Falvey's all like that. Now that age i want to say the the he might be like 28 arizona coyote i think the arizona coyotes gm when he was hired last offseason was like 28 or 29 so he ain't gonna agree with old dude in montreal mm-hmm. well and they need that too that's the thing i mean well they need a they need a lottery pick that's what everybody needs i mean you just go through these stanley cup winners and stuff it's like oh crosby how'd they get him by culture but you need or? generational players though too i mean that's the thing about it right it's like I mean. mcdavid's a general i mean look at the the oilers are it's unbelievable how much luck that they had uh to continue getting that top overall pick and then you go and look at it and a lot of these guys weren't generational players and they finally hit one yeah. i mean they finally kept yeah, they won you, the damn lottery so many times. If you get four or five, yes, yeah, you're you're bound to to hit it. But um, I mean, they were given they were they've been giving away guys that they took first because they're like, oh, this guy's not good in the room. This guy's this. This guy's who? Who's the guy that that they traded to the Blues? Uh, Yakupov. Yeah, who I believe the Blues have scratched a bunch this year. Yeah, he hasn't done well because he's nine, just sort of a screw up. Yeah, nine points in forty one games. He yeah. actually got off to a good start, I think, and then just completely fell apart. I think he was engaged when he got there. Oh. engaged in the game yeah, and now yeah. I, he's not engaged in it. yeah um well that's actually another reason why it's kind of a desperate situation for the wild in my mind and why they made that martin hansel trade is yes. because Connor mcdavid is great right now yes i mean he is as good as it gets in the league he's getting better mm-hmm. he'll be better next year mm-hmm. i would project that he scores somewhere between 110 and 120 points next year if he's healthy the whole way yeah. that he's improving and oh, yeah. once he gets to that point that's and they fill out that roster a little more. It's going to be Edmonton's West. When I watched him against the Wild this year, you could tell he's very special. You could also see that he's nowhere near the the finished product. And his body isn't even fully filled. No, out I yet. mean he's not. He's not. He's the guy. He makes unbelievable plays. I I remember the first ever uh, North Star game I went to in '79. Was it was the Oilers and North Stars, and it was I believe at the time a 19 year old Gretzky. And you watched that game and said, this guy's unbelievable. And then you went back in, let's say, 83 and watched them again. And Gretzky had filled out. And it was like the difference. That, I mean, Gretzky as a 19-year-old was incredibly special and incredibly good. But when, the, when your body starts to fill out, it's all over. Because then you can't stop these guys. And McDavid, Gretzky was interesting, too, because... As good as Crosby is, Crosby's sort of a bigger guy. And, I mean, Crosby plays a style of game. You watch McDavid and Gretzky and those guys, and these guys also are just skaters. You know, Crosby, if you watch Crosby, like, just go go to a game and watch him. He does a lot of stuff behind the play, and mm-hmm. he agitates, and he does this and that, which I appreciate, and he's great. He's a fantastic player. But when you watch these just special skating talents, like, they're 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 different. 
Yeah, I think with Crosby, you have to really like hockey and watch a lot of hockey and only watch him to see everything he does. That there are highlight real goals that he'll oh, no. score, like yes. a one-handed goal or whatever. But when McDavid, I'll put Ovechkin in this category too. When they pick up the puck and they start going one way, Ovechkin earlier in his career, now he kind of camps out and just shoots. Yeah, and he's not as but, fast as he was. Yeah. But when he first came into the league, when he would kind of pick it up, take those first couple of strides, and just blow by everybody, Yes, it was as exciting as it gets. And I had a chance to see Connor McDavid when he was playing in junior uh, three times, actually, because it was near where I was living. And it was like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, at the time, he was like 16 and he would have been the best skater in the NHL at the time he was 16 years old. And that's not Crosby-like. No, that's not. No. It's different. Crosby was always a good skater. Yeah. You know what he is, though? Crosby is the like hard to move. He's so yes. strong. That he has the tightest turns where he could just stop on a dime. It's almost like a wide receiver where he could just plant and flip the other way, only he's on skates. You don't realize until you watch Crosby and, and just watch him at a game – how one, how much of a beating he's willing to take, and two, how chippy he will be back, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Um, but if you go to a game and watch McDavid or or back in the day a Gretzky, it was so it was just pure talent. Mm-hmm. Like it's just pure talent. They don't want to hit you. They they don't they will, but their preference is just to have pure talent. I liken Crosby and Ovechkin um, to Le- LeBron James. In they play uh, they play what I would call a heavier game uh, and the talent and the ability and the sight that they have of, of the ice or court is phenomenal. Um, but when you go and watch a McDavid, it's just all of these intangibles he's got that are off the charts and they're fun. I mean, it's great to watch. So we agree that McDavid is the Hart Trophy winner. Given where the Oilers are, I would think I would think so. Yes, I think that's very fair. And I think he'll probably win about eight of them at the rate he's going to go. Yeah, I do. Seriously. I also think that Sidney Crosby, like, I don't think we realize that Pittsburgh has gone through some stuff this year, that they've had a lot of injuries, especially on their defense. Oh, and I, Crosby's had to carry them at times. Decimated, yes. You, you don't even realize it because they're the Penguins and they're just so great. Yes. You just sort of go, oh, yeah, they're uh, right at the top of the league going to the playoffs as per usual. I think he's got a good case for it too. But McDavid's team, when he's off the ice compared to when he's on, Crosby's team is still pretty good when he's off the ice, even if they're beat up. The Oilers are bad when McDavid's not there, and they're only in the playoffs because of him. Uh, what about the rest? Do you have a Vesna choice? Do you have uh, – I'm kind of springing well, it, it on you because it's the – It used to be Dubnik. It's not now. Yeah, I know. The it's, Vesna now is is much tighter, and uh, I'm going – I'm just off the top of my head without looking at the latest stats, I'm going to guess – that Brabowski of Columbus has a very good chance at that. Uh, I'm dead serious. Uh, in late November, early December, I believe, I said that Dubnik not only should be up for the Vesna, but the Hart as well, because he'd been playing so well. With that no longer being the case, uh, I've seen Carey Price's name bandied about. Now, Carey Price is not, if you look at the totality of the season, has not had a Carey Price type year. But I think what Bob has done in Columbus is fairly impressive. Yeah, Bob is uh, number one in the league in save percentage. Price has played so well recently that he's pushed his name up into that. I think Bob Roski, unless he has the worst week that anyone has ever had, will win his second Vesna. Uh, as for the Norris, um, do you give it to Brent Burns because he scores so many no, points? No, and, and we should talk about them 
If you if you are a concerned Wild fan with your team having had a bad March, the Sharks should be terrified. The sh- yes, the San Jose Sharks are a complete mess, and uh, and Burns dropped off as well. And Burns has listen. I appreciate Burns. Brent Burns has a hybrid game. As far as I'm concerned, Brent Burns is the Gronk of hockey. He's this sort of hybrid player. He's he is a he's listed as a defenseman. If you go watch him play. I think I think you come away with the appreciation for the fact he's probably truly a rover, um, but I don't think I give it to him based on the drop off from his own game and the fact that his team has that is a team that's gone in the no pun intended, but I'm going to use a collar. They've gone in the tank. Oh, good one. Seriously, they they've gone uh, the shark tank. The shark tank now, and I saw Joe Thornton left the ice a couple nights ago. I think it was on Sunday with some type of injury as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But no, I probably I uh, a month and a half ago or a month ago certainly would have leaned Burns for the Norris. I don't think I do now. How about you? I think the whole season for him is still really special, but I do sometimes have trouble with giving a player like that the Norris. I know that a lot of uh, analytics people really liked Eric Carlson for it last year, and I like Eric Carlson a lot myself, but I also thought Drew Doughty had about as good of a year as a defenseman as you can have. He didn't score as many points, but the Kings don't really play that style. If the Kings played this wide-open, up-tempo style, which it's not that the Sharks exactly do, but if they asked him to take as many shots as Brent Burns takes then he would probably score just as much. Like, we always have to grade these things, I think, on who you play for and what kind of style you play, you know? And if you look at, I mean, here's the thing. If not for this last stretch, which I think has had nothing to do with anybody except for the goaltender, maybe the, the coach would disagree, but I look at their scoring chances, I look at their shots, and I say the Wild have played a pretty solid game over the last month and a half. Their goaltender has let them down. I would still be looking at Ryan Suter for this, for the all-around defenseman. And I think if they continue to win, then he would have had a great chance at it. Now I'm not sure that he will. Is the Norris Trophy, uh, can, can it be considered similar to a gold glove in baseball? Where so often we see gold gloves go to guys who are good fielders, but guess what they can also do? They, they can really hit. It's the same thing with the Selkie. The Selkie is almost always a guy who scores. Because it should be, I mean, these trophies should be about the spirit of the award, right? Like, it shouldn't just be predicated on, well, I'm going to sit down and look at the stats. And look at those scoring stats. Those are really good. And that guy, that defenseman scores lots of points. The reality of the trophy is the Norris Trophy should go to the best bleeping defenseman, not just the <laughs> defenseman that scores the most. Yeah. And gold gloves in baseball always drove me crazy. And I think that those are uh, those are actually vo- voted on by managers, correct? If I'm not mistaken, gold. And so these guys would just sit down and look at, you know, well, Mattingly's a pretty good, he's a good fielder, but guess what? He also hit three fifteen, and they give him the gold glove. Drives me nuts. So what? So what's your answer in gold then? Uh, Stalock came up and played two good games. My partner Mackie, of course, tried to give me crap about the fact that hey, I think he might play more, and I think he might play if they struggle in the playoffs. He he might play. Um, I really believe, right or wrong, unless Dubnik completely sieves out in game one or two of the playoffs. I believe that Dubnik is their guy, and they will go as far as he, he can take them. Because Alex Daylock, one, I think they should have called him up before to play him, largely based on the fact that Boudreaux didn't trust Kemper, and I don't think it's a good idea, or it was a good idea, to keep playing 
Dubnik so much. That being said, there's also a reason why they, they didn't call him up. So I believe they sink or swim with Dubnik. I'd be very surprised unless he completely implodes if Stalock got a real opportunity. If you've gone to Alex Stalock, it's like that. If you've gone this far, then you've got to turn around Thank signs you. or whatever. Yes. If you've gone to Alex Stalock, this series is likely already over. Okay. Yeah. I would not trust him the way that Chicago trusted Scott Darling a few years ago when they put him in for a couple games in a series against Nashville Before. for Crawford to get his head right or really get rest. Before Crawford played great against the Wild. Right, and then Crawford came back, and you're right. He was terrific, as always. Uh but I think that they would ride Devin Dubnik so far that if you've gotten to Staylock, you're down 3-0 or you're down 3-1, and the series is pretty much already shot. And I also think, too, it's nice that he came up from Iowa. His career says this is not really an NHL goalie, but there's just not that big of a gap between NHL backups and AHL starters. Correct. In fact, you could argue that there's hardly any outside of a couple of players that Yaroslav Halak is an AHL starter right now, and that guy's got a long career as a good NHL goalie. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes uh, for those backups, where one year you're in the NHL as a backup, the next year you're in the AHL as a starter, and you can bounce back and forth. Sure. But with Dubnik, a guy who has the highest save percentage, or did, it's probably dropped a little below Brayden Holpe now, among the highest save percentages in the league over the last three years, You've got to give him rest, and then you've got to trust the bigger sample and then just cross your fingers. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen with the goalies. They're strange, strange people. It's a very odd position. So many things can happen that can affect whether you play well or not or what your save percentage is. I don't know how to say if I think that he's going to perform well, but I certainly know that you're not turning to anybody else. In fact, that was one of the things we pointed out as a positive. Boudreaux cannot mess up the goaltending situation like he has before right. because he's only got one option, and that's the guy he's got to stick with. Right, and you almost have to keep him to that. Uh, the th and, and if this doesn't work out, and if Dubnik struggles, I will say this. The one place where I won't necessarily defend Dubnik, but I will criticize the, the Wild, is it took them too long to get a backup goaltender up here that they trusted. I think riding Dubnik through the month of March like they did was foolish. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know. Boudreaux's done a great job. And if you give me 10 more opportunities to hire him for this job, I do it each and every time. So this is not saying that this was not a good hire because it was Matthew. But but the one thing I, do, I wondered to myself is, are we sort of looking at the Dusty Baker of, go, of, of I'm really good at my job, except when it comes to the bullpen, I sort of struggle with that. Um, the insistence of the head coach to basically make Dubnik play through March and to keep saying, okay, we were going to rest you against Carolina, but we lost to Washington, so we're playing you. Or we were going to rest you against the Jets, but we lost to the Rangers, so we're going to play you. I think that's going to come back to bite them because this was a guy who, if nothing else, playing more was never going to help him. Like, there was never, there's not a scenario here where I'm saying, you know what, I sort of get that. This is a guy who had played probably too much to start with, and this insistence that we have to get out of this rut, and you do too, by us playing you more, I don't think was a smart move. There's also this part of Bruce Boudreaux that's come out over the second half of the season that we didn't see before, and that's the emotional part of him. And I think that can get him. 
right? I, I think it's almost that, like his team started five and zero, oh, and he was handling things really <laughs> well. And we all said, "Man, this guy—he's really, really solid, and he's grounded." And then his team started to struggle, and he sort of went a little bit batty. Now Bruce didn't lose sight in one eye. Thank God, that's good. <laughs> But it is it is remarkable it, it when you consider have, those parallels. It does have that to it, and that's right. And I think that there were some things that Mike Zimmer made mistakes on. Uh, maybe the handling of the offensive coordinator situation, and then there's the handling of the goaltender situation here where you say when you let the emotion get in your way, some of the best coaches kind of come off as stiffs, like Joel Quinville, Daryl Sutter, Mike Sullivan doesn't come off. Now, I know he's got Sidney Crosby. That's really the difference. But he doesn't, sure. you know, I mean, a lot of these best coaches, and I think it's gotten in Tortorella's way throughout his career. And you always wonder, well, when's he going to become a distraction for his team? Or when's he going to make a mistake? Because he's over-emotional. We saw it year after year with the New York Rangers. It, I think, on the way here with Bruce Boudreaux playing Dubnik over and over and over again. And getting frustrated. Uh, right, yes. Like, I, I understand. I appreciate a head coach that when his team plays a bad game can get upset. But what we've seen with Bruce is Bruce did the same thing that Zim did, which was he started to ride the roller coaster. And I would say that's where you that's where you need to draw the line. Like, if you want to get mad once in a while, go go for it. Get mad. Don't care. Think it's great. Think it's fun. But when you start to see the roller coaster, because if you ride the roller coaster, it means your players are, too. And I don't think that's productive for players in a, in any sport. These seasons are too long. Mm-hmm. And so if they're going to be emotional wrecks, and the problem, too, is the Wild is so mentally weak in some ways, they don't really respond to it. Like, I think Boudreaux, Boudreaux's waiting for uh, take your pick, uh, Kessler or somebody, right, to be like, yeah, boys, let's go get them. They don't have that player. They don't have that headstrong. Mm-hmm. The Ducks had a few. Washington probably had a few, right? Ovechkin probably a little bit. I don't know. But the Wild doesn't. I can tell you flat out, the Wild doesn't have that player who, who can read the head coach and say, okay, boys, I'll take care of things. Koivu's not that guy. It's, it probably isn't a coincidence that the farthest that he's gone in the playoffs was with a team with Ryan Kessler, right? Yeah. I mean, for, for Boudreaux, he was yeah. right on the doorstep of going to the Stanley Cup final. They lost that game seven. Um, but, yeah, I've have wondered about that as I've watched as we've gone along. The other thing, too, is you better pick the right spot to blow up. You know who used to be good at this and then they brought an instant replay and then it didn't matter anymore? (laughs) Was uh, managers like Joe Torre, for example. Yep. Joe Torre would be even Steven the whole season long, and then they'd lose two, three games in a row. There'd be a bad call at second base or a good call. It wouldn't matter. And he'd go out there and he'd blow up, and everyone would be like, whoa, Joe just blew up. He must be really frustrated. We better get it back together. So once you push that button, though, you can't push it again because then it's like, oh, yeah, one-note song. He's just blowing up again. And with Boudreaux, we're on like two or three times already during the stretch pushing that button. To your point, uh, the the Ducks last year got off to an awful start. They did. And I believe one of their last losses, and they – they didn't win a game, what was it, like 10 games, 11? It was a ridiculous. I mean, so they came uh, to the X. The Ducks played here, and it was a Saturday afternoon. I think it was a 5 o'clock start, and they lose again. And this is the one where I think they were going to, like, Chicago and St. Louis next, and there was open speculation in the press box that Boudreaux wouldn't get on the plane, that he was going to be fired. 
Anyway, they lose the game. Boudreaux doesn't get fired. And just out, out of curiosity, I went to the Ducks locker room and Kessler was talking. And, you know, it's the it's the folks that cover the Ducks. So it's just like two or three people. But anyway, you walk in there and Kessler's talking and Kessler is basically putting the entire thing on himself. It's like we got to end this now. This isn't Bruce fault. Bruce's fault. This is our fault. And he goes through this litany and like the look in his eye was Messier. Like, and I'm also going to kill people here. <laughs> and he got done. And I was like, holy cow, because not because I had never seen it before, Matthew, but because like if you go to the wild room, that doesn't exist. Like, Kessler went through a point-by-point -point breakdown of how disgusted he was, how it wasn't Boudreaux's fault, and how this was going to end, and it was going to end soon. And you walked away from there going, he's not kidding. Like, this isn't lip service. He means it. Now, it might not, but he means it. And I can tell you flat out, I've never walked in, at least in the last eight years or so, to the wild locker room after a tough loss or a tough series of games and, and had somebody get up and give you that speech. That's the difference. And they came out, out of the slump and, and made, you know, made the playoffs. And I think by January or, or shortly thereafter, they were one of the best teams in hockey for a while. Mm -hmm. That was impressive. And everywhere Kessler's been, he's had the Sedins or he's had Ryan Getzlaff. And there's, I always kind of come back to that, too, that if you had Zach Parisi in his prime, you might feel differently about someone else or... Maybe someone would be more confident to feel like they could pull them out of a slump. I never want to lose sight of it's really the players. Like all this stuff that Correct. we're talking about matters, but it's really the roster. Correct. That's all. Like just that point needs to be made right. that the reason that the Pittsburgh Penguins win is because of Sidney Crosby. And then, you know, he's got that element of it too, especially later in his career here. He's, I think, really grown up quite a bit as a leader, but uh yeah, I mean, but it's when I, I totally agree with when you. You're good with enough to Kessler, carry that too. Yep. That's what's impressive. Yep. No, I, I agree with Kessler though, and I would take him on any team ever for the way he plays, especially because a couple of guys that I talked to in the league said that if there's anyone they hate playing against, it's him. So I want that guy in my team. Um, I forgot to mention that I would pick Victor Hedman for the Norris. Okay. He has 67 points in 75 games. And he is the second leading scorer on Tampa Bay. They lost Steven Stamkos, and he and Kucherov have done everything in the world to get them into the playoffs. They probably won't make it here, but it's been an incredible performance by him, putting his team on his back. 67 points in 75 games as a defenseman. He deserves that even if they don't make the playoffs. Kucherov's a nice player, too. He's a great player. really like him. That's all. That's all your hockey talk. That's all we That's got? That's how we're ending it. Kucherov's oh, oh, good. Oh. Just quick, else? Yeah, just quickly. We've been talking for a long time. On line combinations, uh, I asked Boudreaux after the game on Sunday, I said, because there was talk two weeks back or, or th three weeks back once the Wild was comfortably in the playoffs because we assumed that things would be just fine and they kept struggling, uh, that Boudreaux was going to try and set his lines like for the last two weeks and they were not going to move and I'm going to leave them alone. And he continued to juggle. In fact, he juggled in, uh, in Nashville, I believe, on Saturday. He juggled in the first, second, and third period. And then he came back on Sunday and might have done a little bit more. Anyway, I said, is this now not important to you? Because clearly you, you know, continue to juggle your lines. Have you gotten to a point now where it's just not feasible? He, told, he said flat out what he wants to do now is he said, if you look at our line combinations, I'm leaving them together in pairs, essentially. So his point, right or wrong, is he's tethering guys. So Granlin and Koivu are tethered. 
Uh, and and basically he went through with the line combinations. I think it was Hansel and Pominville. His point being the third guy on lines might change, but at least I've got two guys together on a full-time basis. So I found that to be interesting because as of two and a half weeks ago, the talk was it was going to be three guys, four lines set, no questions. Well, if you get a chance, go to 1500ESPN.com if you're not already there and check out the analytics lines that I put together for the wild and uh there will be plenty more of these judd more adventures for us to have playoffs are coming matthew playoffs are coming adventures in fact there is talk of potential venture videos for the playoffs really so i'm going to leave you and the listeners with that okay high-ranking officials sources high-ranking high-ranking sources i talked to them today told me that we might be doing videos in which case people would have to see our faces which might be unfortunate for them okay Madden Judd's Hockey Adventure. Bye. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, do all the things that podcasters do. <laughs> Goodbye.